0: The paintings and sculptures you see in museums are valuable because they're rare, right? Worth thousands? Millions? And when mass media drowns us in images every day for free, what makes any of that valuable? Well, Maybe in the long run, it's something more than just familiarity. In the 20th century, the American artist Norman Rockwell created hundreds of detailed paintings for mass distribution as commercial illustrations for print magazines. Nan Brewer, a curator at the IU Eskenazi Art Museum,
1: says that now, almost 40 years after Rockwell's death, He's often considered one of the more recognizable artists of all time. Oh, Picasso, you recognize right away. Andy Warhol, you recognize right away. But his audience knew his work, not from going into museums. They knew them from the covers he did for the Saturday Evening Post. It was a different venue for art. From 1916 to
0: 1963, Rockwell had what was unthinkable for a fine artist, but normal for a commercial artist, a steady job. Through his ongoing work-for-hire contract with Curtis Publishing, the owners of the Saturday Evening Post, Rockwell created his legacy, one magazine cover a month, 321 times. And people loved them, even though such mass popularity counted against Rockwell in the fine art market.
1: There were critics that complained that his work wasn't serious, he was cornball, he was just a calendar artist. It was actually not until 1952 that his first artwork was acquired by a museum. The Painting Town Mini was acquired by the Metropolitan Museum of Art for $100. The magazine
0: publisher had already paid for Rockwell's work, so what the public never saw was a working sketch, yet for four decades. Visitors to the dean's office at the IU School of Journalism were greeted by a large charcoal drawing framed in raw wood, and most of them immediately recognized it. Well, maybe not by name, but by the story it told and by the emotional punch it delivered. After all, it was the picture that had been voted the Saturday Evening Post's second most popular Rockwell cover ever, Breaking Home Ties. We see a farmer and his son, waiting for the train that will take the son off to college. The contrast between the boy's clean, eager appearance, dressed in his Sunday best, and his father's worn work clothes and slumping shoulders has captured hearts since its first publication in 1954. The sketch had been with the Indiana University School of Journalism since 1975, the year the program moved back into Ernie Pyle Hall after a renovation. It wasn't until the 1990s, as Ernie Pyle Hall underwent another renovation, that somebody called up Sherry Rouse, the IU curator of campus art, and asked her to come over and take a look. And there I saw a Norman Rockwell picture. I realized then that it was actually a real drawing by Norman Rockwell. That's a pretty unusual thing. I have seen paintings, but I had never seen drawings. As the curator of campus art, Sherry Rouse has spent more than 20 years looking through offices, hallways, and closets on all eight campuses, taking inventory of every single piece of art owned by the university. So far, she's logged more than 13,000 items, but this charcoal sketch was a first. It's very sophisticated. It is a completed drawing. It's not sketchy at all. There's just one person left who knows how the sketch got to the School of Journalism in the first place. Marge Blewett was an administrator with the journalism school in the 1970s and retired in 1990. In the interests of disclosure, Marge Blewett is my mother. Marge remembers the alumnus who gave the sketch to the school. Ed von Tress graduated from the IU journalism program in the early 1920s and went to work for Curtis Publishing in Philadelphia. Besides the Saturday Evening Post, Curtis published other popular magazines like Holiday and Field and Stream. Marge says Ed Von Tress quickly made his name in the business side of magazines. He was one of the top ministers and was the publisher and founder of Fortune magazine. Curtis Publishing was in financial trouble during the 1960s. In 1970, it was bought by the well-known Indianapolis entrepreneur Bert Servas. What followed was a failure to communicate. The story came down to Marge Blewett this way. So when the people left the day they closed down, they said, just take anything you want. And Ed picked this picture. Now, I don't know why he picked a sketch when there were paintings by Rockwell and other famous artists all over the walls. But for some reason, he picked that sketch. No paperwork, nothing official, just a guy walking out of a building with a framed charcoal sketch under his arm. We turn to the current publisher of the Saturday Evening Post, Joan Servas, the daughter of Bert, to get the bigger picture.
2: My dad would tell the story. He said soon after he got a phone call from New York and Philadelphia, people are leaving and taking everything with them. Please come back to village So I think what happened is people just said that it's going down and every man for himself. I also think at the time the art wasn't that valuable and people disliked it and they, you know, they took it home. The Servas
0: organization did try to get the lost items back, or at least find out where it all
2: went. After this all happened, people came to Indianapolis to say, okay, this one took some art, the ex-president took some art. There wasn't a providence, so to speak, but there certainly were plenty of witnesses.
0: But considering the business situation,
2: retrieving art wasn't a top priority. The company at the time was $100 million in debt, and there was a lot of other bigger fires to tend to. So
0: Ed von Tress got to keep his charcoal sketch. He moved back to Bloomington and hung the Rockwell sketch in his home. He gave it to the IU Foundation shortly before his death in 1975 with the stipulation that it hang in the magazine classroom of Ernie Pyle Hall, which was being remodeled for the School of Journalism. The painting was delivered to Ernie Pyle Hall in May 1975, but the chaos of resettling the school and new quarters meant the Von Tress gift went unnoticed. And it didn't get put up and hung around the wall immediately. I don't know, it kind of stood around behind the filing cabinet for a while. And finally, it went up on the wall along with the front cover, which makes it so much better when you can see what he ended up with. It did not go into the magazine classroom as Ed Bontress had wanted. Instead, it was displayed in the dean's office for the next 40 years, where it was a favorite of four deans, dozens of staff, and hundreds of visitors who loved comparing the sketch with a framed print of the magazine cover hanging next to it. Marge remembers that Dean Trevor Brown had a special affection for it.
2: Dean Brown
0: really liked that picture and he was out of South Africa and was a Rhodes Scholar. I kind of think it brought back to him some things of his own childhood, the boy going off to college. In the 1990s, Fifteen years after Rockwell's death ended the production of new paintings, market forces of supply and demand meant the monetary value of his paintings had skyrocketed and the fine art world was finally taking notice. When Sherry Rouse recognized the charcoal sketch's significance, she had it removed to the Lilly Library so paper conservator Jim Canary could begin preservation work. She remembers how the image touched another heart. There's a collie in the picture, and the collie's kind of got its head on the boy's knee. And when Jim looked at it, he got tears in his eyes because his son had gone off to college and they had a collie. So there was a certain connection to the picture right away. Jim Canary remembers that moment well.
2: The first thing after
0: I got it unwrapped and had a look at it was the face of the dog. The collie was laying its head on the young boy's knee, and you, that just told everything. That was the sadness of, of leaving, sort of breaking those ties. And, um, and then there are so many other things that start to come up out of the work. You see the wrinkled brow, the, the hard working sort of life that his father had lived. Then this bright sunny face of his son looking upward with hope and wonder and just a new world coming a- ahead of him. Curator Nan Brewer agrees that the enduring power of this picture, as with all of Rockwell's works, is an emotional
1: reality that anyone can relate to. His work is a lot more complex when you spend a little more time with it. Even a work like this, when you first look at it, you think, oh, well, it's clearly about the passage of time. The son is going to have a different life, potentially, than his father. However, the more you look at this picture, the more you see they're looking in opposite directions. It has a bit of ambiguity to it that makes you take a little more time to think a little more deeply about what is that moment in life like? Such attention to the narrative power of formal composition comes from Rockwell's
0: long and rigorous training in New York art schools, where he also got an education in art's power to communicate themes of social justice, politics, and human
1: dignity in the first decades of the 20th century. His work has actually been called Emotional Realism, a variation on representational art. He said he wanted to show the America that he saw, but to look at it closely and really observe it, to pick up things that people might have missed. To fill his paintings with the details
0: of a moment, Rockwell built the scenes with meticulous care. Nan Brewer
1: takes us through the process. Norman Rockwell's process was really quite lengthy and involved. He would begin by doing a rough sketch, a small little, almost like a thumbnail sketch, that he would present to the editor at the Saturday Evening Post. From that, he would actually work in almost a cinematic fashion, almost like an art director or director of a movie. He would cast his characters. He would often have his neighbors, friends, family pose for him, and he would pick He would pick out the set, the props. It makes
0: sense that the two most active collectors of Rockwell's work today are the movie directors Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, who have also found success in mass media using visual storytelling details for emotional impact. Rockwell himself used camera angles to develop powerful compositions.
1: In the case of this particular work, Breaking Home Ties, we know from the archives at the Norman Rockwell Museum that he did over 100 photographs. The photographs then served as working studies. From those, he would do some crayon drawings. Then he would do these large, almost full-scale charcoal drawings. Those might be presentation drawings to the editor at the Saturday Evening Post, or they would be for him to work out the compositions. big part of his work was balancing the narrative with the composition, the formal aspects of the artwork. He would then do a color study, and then finally he would do the final painting, and the painting was then photographed and then reproduced on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post.
0: Brewer indicates that it is this commitment to honest representation, presented with rigorous artistic eye, that gives Rockwell's images their staying
1: power. He said he really wanted them to be not a one-joke gag. He wanted people to instantly understand them. In this case, the impact on both a child and really more their parent when they leave home. We now call the empty nest syndrome. That empty nest pain was Rockwell's own, it turns out. Nan
0: Brewer says the early drawings and photographs that led up to the charcoal sketch included a mother, but she eventually vanished.
1: He said that this particular image really had a personal resonance because at this moment in time, 1954, his two younger sons had both gone off to college and his older son had enlisted in the Air Force. And he said he was going through this struggle of kind of the separation from your children. And because he had three sons, I think he thought, let's really look at the father-son relationship. That relationship quietly emerged as Rockwell changed details of the setting. In some of the drawings you see, they were sitting at an actual train station. That slowly was removed and now you see them sitting on the running board of a beat up truck. Even from the drawing here to the cover, it's a little bit like one of these things is not like another game. You look and you say, whoa, in the final painting, there is a trunk with a lantern and a red sheet of cloth. Well, that's because this is a whistle stop. There wasn't a station there. So it's going to be up to the father to actually engage and actually be the agent for stopping the train that his son's going to go away on. And in the drawing, you don't see the edge of the train track. In the final painting, you see the train track, so it's clear that's the setting. When the finished oil painting of Breaking Home Ties went up for
0: auction in 2006, it sold for $15.4 million dollars. That kind of price wasn't anything Rockwell ever would have imagined for one of his pictures. He'd gradually gotten most of them back from Curtis Publishing, but only so he could give them away to his friends who had modeled for them. Nor did a museum dedicated to his work seem likely either, but the Norman Rockwell Museum opened in Stockbridge, Massachusetts in 1969 in the last decade of Rockwell's life. This museum is now home to hundreds of Rockwell paintings and thousands of his drawings, sketches, and photographs in a secure yet friendly setting. When the IU School of Journalism merged into the Media School and prepared to move to Franklin Hall in 2015, administrators knew it was time for the charcoal drawing to be housed and protected properly. It's the first original Rockwell to be included in the museum's collections. The final sketch for Breaking Home Ties now hangs in the IU Eskenazi Art Museum's Gallery of Modern Art. Joan Servas is happy to know this sketch has a safe and permanent home at Indiana University where it can be seen by the public.
2: The value is the way people relate to that story and that man and his hard hands and he's looking backwards and the boy's looking forwards and the dog's looking bad really an interesting narrative, and that's why George Lucas and Steven Spielberg are such a big fan of Rockwell, because with one image, he tells these incredible stories.
0: Between the sketch and the finished painting, there is one more crucial difference. In the sketch, the father holds his battered hat in his hands. In the final painting, he holds two hats, his own, and on top of it, his son's crisp new fedora. Both of them clasped together in those heavy farmer's hands, holding on for as long as he can. For Cafe Indiana, I'm Shane Lauder.